a couple of maps up here. I want to show you these real quick. Uh, you can see it, the little red dot. So, so the body of water, that's the Mediterranean Sea. All right. You might, whoa, 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 whoa. You, might you might recognize some of the other names. There's, there's Pergamum, there's Ephesus, there's Philadelphia, there's Laodicea, there's Colossae. And, and so now go to the, the next one. Thank you. Uh, you'll see this kind of region right over here, uh, Mount Hermon, Mount Or, uh, Babylon. Th th this, this over here, okay, is um, the Middle East. This is where we think of Galilee and Jerusalem. I've been doing some studies on the mountains. That's why this map is here. But so you kind of, that gives you some perspective as to how far away from where Jesus walked this took place. Okay? All right. Let me get this. Smyrna is the home to this early church leader. And, and it happened to be one of the seven churches that John wrote to in the Revelation. All right, so here it is. Just pay attention. Revelation 2, verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Now, you need to pay attention to this message. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11, anyone who hears, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. All right, now, some things to take note of in that message. And then the revelation to, to this message, to this church named Smyrna, who, where we just saw it. All right, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you important don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer that's not good news he doesn't say it don't be afraid if you go through some suffering he tells them, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer all right i'm already getting i'm second guessing this thing and then he says this if you remain faithful even when facing death i'll give you the crown of life so the man who played a role in us celebrating Easter today is a man by the name of Polycarp. Not a fish. Okay, you hear that sometimes. Polycarp. And tradition has it that Polycarp was born a slave. But early on in his life, he was adopted or bought out of slavery by a Christian woman named Callisto. And Callisto taught Polycarp to love the scripture. And somewhere, Somehow, Polycarp crossed paths with John, the very man who is going to be sentenced to Patmos, and God gives him this revelation with the letters to these seven churches, one of them being Smyrna. John and Polycarp form a relationship, and John does the very thing that Jesus commanded. He discipled Polycarp told him, he spent time with him, he invested in him, and he said, now go make disciples of Jesus. And then John went on his way and did the thing that we now know Jesus was sentenced to Patmos. So for a period of time, John invests in the life of this man. 
Now, Polycarp would live out the rest of his life in the Smyrna area. He would take a couple of trips. We know that he went to Rome at, at least once, but he traveled the local area. He would go to the, to the rural gatherings of people, and he would share with them about Jesus. He, he was also confronted by a Gnostic, okay, uh, a, a man by the name of Marcion. Now, this Gnostic, we're not going to get into Gnosticism and everything, but they believe in God. There's a, there's a knowledge of God, just things are distorted. And some things are important and some things aren't important. And, and some Gnostics, just depends on where you are, they have different viewpoints of Jesus and his role and his relationship with God. All right? And so this, this Gnostic, this Marcion guy, was very vocal about removing religious celebrations of most Jewish feasts. But certainly any celebration that had to do with remembering the life of Jesus. And what are the two celebrations that we celebrate that remember the life of Jesus? Priesters. Easter and Christmas. Right? That's the big time. That's the, that's the big, that in our culture, that's the big holidays that, that people going to come to church because we got to celebrate the life of Jesus. And that's when we do it. We do it at Christmas. And we do it at Easter. And so this guy, Marcion, he was trying to get rid of, he was trying to get rid of all of these, not just these two holidays, but he was trying to get rid of these other holidays as well. Remember what the Revelation says? Hey, they're going to pretend to be Jews. But they're not. They're Satan's little helpers. And so Polycarp confronts Marcion he defends these celebrations and the season of year in which we should celebrate the resurrection. And he, go, he is quoted as calling Marcy on the firstborn of Satan. Now, we kind of chuckle, huh, that's kind of a mean insult and everything. That was a huge deal. Uh, that right there sent Marcy on over the edge. At, at this point in time, now Polycarp has this spotlight on him. Okay? Now, with that said, here's what we need to know about Polycarp. Remember the time period in which he lived. He lived within the Roman Empire. And this was at the peak of its, its world dominance, right? Like the, the Roman Empire was the stuff. And the Romans believed in many gods. But they also believed that Caesar was, one, was the one true God that deserved worship over all the others. So you could worship whatever little gods you wanted to, but as a Roman citizen, you had to worship Caesar. Right? So, so you could have your, your other little G-gods over here. You could do what you wanted to. But when it came to acknowledging Caesar as God in the Roman Empire, that was the expectation. And so Smyrna is a hot spot. It's a stronghold for the Roman Empire because of its proximity to, to the Mediterranean Sea. Christianity is spreading throughout the world. Nero in Domitian, these these rulers, man, they were slaughtering Christians left and right. If you would not denounce Christ the Savior, you're getting killed. And in AD 155, Polycarp is sitting in a home. He's having ecclesia. He's having a church gathering. When word came that the Roman guards were looking for him, so his friends, I mean, he's got people there that care for him, and they're in this house, and they're, you know, they're they're sharing the things that God, they're they're the New Testament church still. 
and they're sharing the things that God is laying on their heart. They're, 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 they're praying together. They're breaking bread together. They're fellowship. I mean, they're doing these things. And they get word that the Roman guard is looking for them and they're on their way. And, and so the friends are like, man, Polycarp, you got to go. Polycarp, get, get out of here. And, and in the moment, Polycarp decides that, okay, I'm going to appease my friends and I, I'm, I'm going to go. And he, and he goes out to a, a rural church, a rural cottage. And, and he stays out there for a period of time. And, and, and while he's there, he is documented to have had a vision. And then no one knows exactly all the details of the vision, but this one detail. I must be burned alive. And, 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 and his friends are like, what, what are you talking about? The, the vision that I just received from the Lord says that I must be burned alive. They're like, what? Like, why would you? Who thinks this way? Polycarp sits and he waits. And the Romans come. And the friends go, run. The enemy is coming at the door. Run, run. Polycarp's like, you know what? If God's will, let him in. God's will be done. And so Polycarp is now arrested. He's beat up along the way. He stands trial for being a Christian. He stands trial for believing that Jesus is God's Son. And he's asked by the uh, local governor who's ruling this, this trial. Polycarp, you've done a lot of good things. You're very popular. You realize under Roman law, I've got to kill you if you don't denounce Jesus and call Caesar as God. I, I like you. All you have to do is that. Like, like, like just, just that. J just say that you no longer claim Jesus to be Savior of your life, Lord of your life, but you, you claim Caesar to be the one true God. And, and you get to walk out of here. If not, you, you're going to have to die. Like, like that's, that's the decision. That, that Polycarp is dealing with. And remember what John wrote. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Polycarp, all you have to do is denounce Jesus and you're going to walk out here a free man. And this is how Polycarp replies. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. For eighty and six years I have been his servant. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king this day? Polycarp is immediately sinned. On a fire. But get this. The story is better. They had different forms of burning people alive. They always, always bound people in some way, shape, or form, usually nailing them to a piece of wood. Just for the sake of if we're going to throw you on fire, your natural reaction is going to be to run. And we don't want you to run off the fire that we're trying to burn you with, so we're going to tie you down. At which case, they're going to bind Polycarp to some wood. And he says, 
Don't worry about that. I mean, this, 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 is, this is the quote. Leave me as I am. For he who grants me to endure the fire will also keep me on the fire. I don't need your nails. And Polycarp willingly laid down on the wood that, that is about to get torched. Now remember, what was the vision he had? I must be burned alive. That's not how Polycarp died. They lit the fire. Fire gets bigger. Fire gets bigger. You know he's going to leave. Fire does not consume itself. And they see him. At which point, they drag him out. Sword, his head, and then throw his dead body back on the fire. I hear stories like this, and I and I wonder. Maybe you do too. What would Michael do in this situation? <laughs> like, like, praise the Lord! I, I, I say that. I, I say it, that's, that's the church thing for us to say, praise the Lord, we don't ever have to face anything like that. But, but I can't help but wonder, what would I do? All you have to do is say these words, I do not believe in Jesus as God's Son, and you get to continue on with life. No big deal, right? But Polycarp is like, hey, I will have no other gods before me, including myself including my selfish desires, including the things that I want. I will not have any other God before me. What drives a person to have such commitment? You know, last week we talked about Stephen, right? Forgiveness, and that was kind of a heavy one too last week. And we, we talked about in, in the midst of being hit in the head with stones, Stephen is on the ground and he's saying, oh God, can you please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing right now. Right? I mean, like, come on, what drives a person to that level of commitment? What about St. Lawrence in AD 258? Who was grilled? Not like verbally grilled, but he was grilled over an open fire. He, he was literally tied. He was bound to a, a, a grate that would be on your grill. Okay? He was bound to this spit. And, 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 and he was grilled to death because he cared for the poor in the name of Jesus. And when asked to stop, his allegiance to God and what God's commands are is greater than his allegiance to the Roman Emperor Valerian. Stop serving people in the name of Jesus or you're going to die. Okay. I'm ready to die. And, and it's said that as St. As Lawrence is on this spit, he's like, hey, y'all think y'all can rotate this over? Backside's getting burnt. Front side, not so much. Y'all know nothing about. Okay, they know nothing about cooking meat. I mean, he asked that. Hey, what about Bartholomew? He was one of the 12 apostles. I mean, he, he went on to what is modern-day Turkey. When, when the persecution came and they scattered into all the ends of the earth, he went, he went to what is modern-day Turkey. And he led a, a small uh, Armenian kingdom there. He led a king in that region to the Lord. 
He went there and he told this guy all about Jesus and said, this is who Jesus is. And he, he, he died on the cross for you. This, this king said, you know what? I want some of that. And here's the thing. Bartholomew converted this guy from Roman Catholicism. You know how Bartholomew died? He was skinned alive. They, they, they literally took and just peeled pieces of skin off of and, and they would just, just his entire body at one point in time was completely bare. You ready to stop? You, are you ready to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus? Nope. Let's cut another piece off. Are you ready to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus? Nope. Let's cut another piece off. He was eventually beheaded. He was crucified. William Tyndall, who translated most of the English Bible, he was commanded to stop working on this. He's like, hey, I hate to break it to you guys, but uh, my love for God was is, is, is so strong, and God is a God of all people. He wants all people groups, even, even those of us who speak English, to have access to Him through His Word that He's given to us. So I'm going to keep on. And, and, and William Tyndall was warned time and time again to stop. And he's like, no, God wants people everywhere to have access to, to God's Word. And he was arrested, and he was tortured. And he was choked to death. They, they would literally, they would literally squeeze his check, check uh, throat, okay, till he could not, whatever that was, till he could not breathe. And then they bring him back, and he and they would do it again, and they would do it again, until eventually his larynx was cut. And I could go on. There's. There's, there's modern day people who have had guns put at their head and saying, just tell me that you do not believe in Jesus Christ. And you'll live. People commanded to stop preaching. People commanded to stop believing. All these people could have carried on with their life, but something moved them to be faithful to God in extreme circumstances. And so we, we're on a year-long journey of examining the characteristics of Jesus. We're saying that we want to become like Jesus, as the Bible commands in, in several places. And so in order to become like Jesus, we've got to know the traits that make the man who he is. And here's the thing. We know that Jesus was a lot of things. He was loving. He was intentional. He was forgiving. He was humble. He was compassionate. Jesus was also obedient. And, and, and here's the thing. I know in, in my mind, a lot of times we don't think about Jesus being obedient. Like there's like, my family will say this about me. Like, Michael, you sometimes think you're above the law. Right? Like, like there's the law for everybody else. And then you think like you're, these things don't apply to you. In your life, and so they'll they'll say that about me. And sometimes we have that that thought process about Jesus. We have this tendency to embrace Jesus as the law, as the rule in which we are to live. But but here's the thing: the whole the whole act of Jesus stepping off the throne to come and live with us here on earth, it was an act of obedience. Again, this isn't coming up on the screen, but Philippians two tells us when he appeared in human form. 
he humbled himself in obedience to God. Right? And he died a criminal's death on the cross. But who was he obedient to? He humbled himself. And he said, I'm going to be obedient to my Father in heaven, to God. Obedience, church, is simply submission to someone else's authority. Right? Now, we, we got a couple of sermons this year on this topic of, of, of obedience. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I apologize. And this, this, this is about to get deep right now. Okay? And, and, and there, there's, there's a sermon waiting for you. Um, there's a lot to say about obedience. When we think of being obedient or godly obedience, we have to remove, we have to remove the checklist mentality from our thinking. The, the Western culture mindset, when we read the Bible, so many times we think of it as a list of do's and do nots. Right? I mean, we're, we're guilty of it. We, we even teach. There's, there, there's curriculums out there that don't come out and say, treat it like this. But the way they're written, it's often interpreted as the Bible is this thing that I'm supposed to have, and it tells me what I can and what I cannot do. And we think of it as a checklist. We wake up and we're like, okay, uh, let's see. Do not steal, all right? Um, do not lie, good. Do not murder. Shouldn't have any problems with that one. Uh, do not cheat. I mean, and we go, we go down. Do not, do not gossip. And, and and we get to the end of the day, or we sit in classes sometimes, and we run down the list of commands, and we say things like, "Well, I kept more than I broke today. Not a bad day, man. I, I man, I only had that one bad thought, right? We 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 treat obedience and the do's and do nots of Scripture, and and as this as this um. Man, if I do more good than I do bad, I'm a good person. And if I really do a lot more, then I, you know, I'm really a good Christian. Y'all should probably look at me as an example, right? I mean, like, hey, I, I, there's only a few that I struggle with over here. So as long as I just live in the world, if I just have one or two, I do all. I mean, we want to talk about all the negative stuff, but look at all the stuff I do right. Can't have that one. Because here's the thing, when things get going tough, and they will, maybe not to the point of we're going to fillet you open, okay? But when things get going tough, we will denounce the name of Jesus just so we can keep on living, and we do it all the time. We will make justifications for our actions, we will make justifications for our inactions, and we will settle for what is comfortable to us if we have the mindset of obedience is strictly a checklist of things I am to do and not to do. Polycarp had a different mindset when it comes to obedience. He had a completely different mindset than what we think of in the West. John 3.16, again, this is not coming up on the screen either, but you, you know it or you've probably heard it a time or two. Right? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is really important that we understand this concept so that we can then be obedient as Jesus was obedient. The word believe here 
whoever believes in Him. The word believe here is not about having a knowledge of. Okay? A lot of times, Western culture, my belief stems that, yes, I know that the Bible is real. And since the Bible is real, God is real. And since God is real, Jesus is real. I have a belief in God. The word believe here is so much more than just a knowledge of. The, the word believe in the Greek language is an all-in mindset. Think, think about a swimming pool, okay? All right, I told y'all, we're getting deep. Think about a swimming pool. The water is the relationship in which God is biting you into. Now, we all are familiar here. This illustration doesn't work. This doesn't work well in Zimbabwe. Even though Masoko does have a swimming pool. Um, it doesn't work well there. But you guys, you, you, you're familiar, right? There's two ways to get into a swimming pool. Isn't there? Right? I mean, there, there's the, there's the, I'm going to creep in. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk down the steps to the shallow end, and by golly, if it's cold, we all know what that's like, right? I mean, like it's a, whew, whew, we gotta wait till it gets numb, and and and, and get, we get a little acclimated to it, and we take another step, and then it's it's good down here, but then when it gets, starts getting up here, it's like oh man, it's getting real cold, and we'll you know like we'll stand on our tiptoes to to avoid it. Y'all can relate to this, I know. Right, but but there's this. We're, we're going to walk in. We're going to kind of wade in, and we're going to kind of we're just going to kind of take it easy. And and, and sometimes you know, I, we man is swimming. I don't want to get my hair wet, so we just kind of we're just kind of there. We just kind of we're just you know standing up, not splashing. Don't want a lot of splashes. And and if it gets too uncomfortable, we just kind of scurry right back out. Right. I mean, like there's there's that way of of getting in, into the pool. But then there's the other way. The way the rest of us do it, right? Big old cannonball. Ain't nothing else. Right? I mean, you, some of you people that can do a little dive, that's all well and good and everything. But it is an all-in approach to I'm getting in that water and I'm going to make the absolute biggest splash possible. Because here's the thing, when I take that leap, when I when I when I take that leap off this right here, I'm all in. I'm committed. I mean, there, there is no coming back. Now, I can get out of the relationship eventually. But when I, when I take that leap, I, I am in air. And the next thing is my body being completely engulfed with water. Now, when you do that, when you jump in, there's a couple things going to happen. People at the shallow end, they're, they're going to... They're going to get the ripple effects. All right? For some of us, that's more than others. I get that. You know, I understand the placement theory and, and, and what that's all about. Um, I, look, here, some, some people are going to get people on the outside of the pool. They might even get a little bit wet, right? They, they might actually get a little bit of exposure to, to this thing when I'm all in. Now, when I'm wading in, hey, these people up here, they're not... They're not getting exposed. When I'm, when I'm wading in and I'm nice and easy, my ripple effects are not having an impact on anybody else. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes, it's an all-in picture, guys. 
It is jumping off the deep end. And it is full-on commitment. That is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in this, in this moment. Nicodemus, it's not about kind of wading in a little bit. It, it's, it's an all or nothing. Now let me share some truth with you. Just because you are a drop the nets and walk away from the family business and your dad sitting on the boat, just because you're, you're that level of commitment, Jesus does not mean that you will have a sinless life moving forward. It doesn't mean that you will be perfect and that your life will be easy. Right? That, we're, it, th those things don't go away. All right? And so now you're over here like, well, man, if those things don't go away, why be all in? Being a follower of Jesus is about waking up each day and knowing that there are battles. Just because I'm all in, just because I'm doing you know, a full gainer into this thing doesn't mean that I'm not going to have a life without struggle. It doesn't mean that life is suddenly straight and narrow and easy. Being a follower of Jesus, we've got to know, church, that there are going to be battles to face. Some of those battles come in the form of addiction. They come in the form of, of, of what's What's popping up on my Twitter feed? They come in the form of what I'm choosing to look at, you know, when maybe my wife's not around. Some of those battles come in my view of how I treat certain people. Stella had surgery the other day, had a few minutes to go get some coffee. You know, no sense in both of us being there. So I go to this place, and I'm on my way back, pulling the parking lot, and a phone. Oh. Good thing they didn't call me before coffee. I probably definitely would have rejected it. But, but there's that moment of, man, like, I, I don't want to talk to this person. And, and it was for one reason, one reason only. I was being selfish. Some, some of those battles come in me being selfish. Some, some of those battles come in how I view or treat other people. Some of those battles come in my allegiance to work or my allegiance to my hobby or my allegiance to whatever it is that I place over my relationship with God. That's some of the battles that you and I face. Some of those battles come in the form of, am I willing to say no to some things that keep my life busy so that I can actually do what God tells me to do by making disciples who make disciples? That's some of the battles. And there's a lengthy list, church, of what we can go through. But what you need to know is that every day as a follower, whether you're wading in, or whether or not you're all in, the battles are going to come. But here's the thing. The level of commitment that we have depends on our view of the word believe in Him. Because I'm telling you, when I'm wading in the water and the battles come, when things start to get uncomfortable, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wade right back on out. And I'm going to be comfortable. And I'm going to live my life. But when the battles come and I'm, I'm, I'm full on, I'm in the relationship with God, and those battles are coming, that's a completely different scenario. There's too many people that take, believe in Him. And we treat it as we're waiting in. 
And when it's convenient and it's comfortable, I'm in the relationship. But only up to here. Never up to here. And when it gets uncomfortable, when things happen, I just kind of wave right back on it. Since we're talking about that. Let's now get to the main story I want to share with you. Can we start at verse 12? Let's, I think let's do that. I'm going to dwell here, okay? I'm, I'm not going to wait much longer, I promise you. But don't, don't tune this out. We're going to start on verse 12. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Well done. Good job. We're speaking about it. Listen to this story. We're going to talk about this one last week. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat, that's the guy's name. I like this story. He's already praying. Okay, and here's the deal. They're in they're the kingdom of Judah. They're in the land that God has given to them. And there's like these massive, daunting armies, like major armies coming to Jehoshaphat and his kingdom. And verse 12 is, is the prayer that, that he's, he's praying. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against the, the mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. And as all the men of Judah stood before, before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I mean, everybody's there. Like, I mean, this is a major ordeal. Like, we've got word that these armies are coming, and they're going to just run us over. They're going to truck us, and they're just going to keep on going, and there's not going to be any survivors left. And so this is all hands on deck. Everybody is there, the little ones, the wives, the children. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name is Jehaziel. Son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, who you need to check out Benaniah if you don't know him. Son of, I mispronounced this one, Jael, son of Mattanai, a Levite, who was a descendant of, uh, descendant of Asa. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. All right, so let me just stop right here so we're all on the same page. Armies are coming. We have that information. We don't know what to do, so we pray. God, we don't know what to do. We need your help. All right? So as they're going through this prayer, there's this guy, Jehazel, Jehazel, it doesn't matter. Okay? He's like, hey, God, give me a message. Let me tell you what y'all need to do. Okay? That, that's where we are. Do not be afraid, he says. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, when they get here, you march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziv at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerul. But you will not even need to fight. Take your position, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise God, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stepped, stopped, and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe, that word, we'll come back to that, in the Lord your God. And you will be able to stand firm, believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. 
right? Like I'm just somebody's gonna take some, some shrapnel first. We want the singers out front. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise. The Lord calls the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And then had destroyed the after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Okay, y'all can talk about that tonight in, in life group. We're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on on all this here. Okay, this is this is deep. Okay, there's a lot here. Picture paint. You're the king. You're leading your people. You have a massive army coming at you, and you're a good king. You're one of the positive kings that we write about. You have fear for your people. What do you do? There's a lot of spiritual significance here. The battle is coming to his doorstep. He's not going out looking for it. I mean, he just woke up this day and guess what? He, he received the news. Bad, worst day ever. These armies are coming. So he has three options in my book. Right? I mean, there, there's three things that he could do with the news that this massive army is coming and they're going to take over. Option number one, he can tuck tail and run. You know what? This land is great, but it's not worth my life. I'm going to leave. Who's with me? We can, we can just flee. We can say, you know what? We don't need to fight. We don't need any of this. It's not worth the hassle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from the battle that is coming. That's option number one. Option number two is, hey, you know what? All right. Pride is within us as, as humans. Let me poke that chest out. Who's my best military strategist? All right, we know that they're coming. They don't know that we know they're coming. So let's surprise attack them. Let's let's go out there and and let let's just let's just give them as, as the best fight that we can. And whatever happens, happens. Now here's the deal. Some commentators say it's about five to one in favor of the bad guy. So so option two is I'll puff my chest out and I will work my way through it no matter what happens happens that's option two option three being a king appointed by a god he can rely on god to get him through the battle that is before him so verse 12 tells us what he does look up every day and this battle is before me what do i do do i completely give into the battle do I completely give in to whatever the thing is? Do, do, I, do I bully my way? Do I, do I pride my way through the issue? Josephat says, you know what? He turns to the Lord and he says, oh, our God, won't you stop us? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Jehoshaphat does the smartest thing here, folks, and I would say you should take note. He puts the battle back on God, and it's okay to win this battle. As 
all in followers of Jesus. It is okay for us to put the battle back onto God and say, God, this is your battle. I can't do this. I mean, we, we could get into Jesus going into the temptation. Guess what? Jesus didn't flee from the, the battle that was brought to his doorstep. Jesus didn't try to, to bully his way to, to, I'll just out-endure you. No, what did Jesus do in the wilderness when, when battle, when, when spiritual warfare was being waged on him? He relied on God. When my faith is being tested, when there is the, I, I know what to do to honor God, decisions, but I would rather do what I want to do moments in life. When when, when those are on my on, on my radar, when they're there, these are the moments when faith is provoked. How do we respond? Just denounce Jesus when you walk out of this room. Because here's the thing, church. Every time that we choose us, every time that we choose our comfort level, any time that we go against what we know God wants us to do and we do something completely different, we're saying, you know what, okay, I'll step away. Any time that we, any time that we tuck tail and run, I know that, that I am supposed to be vocal about sharing my faith with people, but uh, you know what, I'm really just uncomfortable, I'm not good at it. And, 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 I, and I get, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot here. I get that not every single thing is a sin, but every time I'm not standing up for the faith and doing the thing that I know I'm supposed to do, I am not just all in the world. So we need to meet these battles head on. We need to do these in the very same way that that did. Lord, Father, I am dealing with this thing over and over and over again. The battle is not mine. The battle is yours. Help me through it. And here's the fact. Relies on God. Now, we got to take note of what God does here. God does not look down on the kingdom of Judah and Jehoshaphat and say, I'm going to remove the armies like they won't even know. Don't you worry about a thing. God doesn't do that, does he? You know what God does? I'll fight the battle for you, but here's what you got to do. Wait, what? Is it not enough that I just relied on you, that I just came to you and said, Lord, take this away from me? Nope. Because it's in these moments that faith is developed, church. It's in these moments where the relationship is, 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 is strengthened. And so he, he tells Jehoshaphat, here's what I want you to do. You got to go out there and you got to face the army. I'm going to do the fighting for you. All right? He assures Jehoshaphat that, that he's going to fight for them, but he's got to go out to the battlefield. He can't tuck tail and run. All right? I want you to gather up everyone and I want you to march out there tomorrow and I want you to take your positions. You know what that means? Be prepared to fight. Take your positions at the battlefield, but the battle is mine. God has claimed the battle as His, but He wants you and I to do something. He doesn't want us just to sit in our place of comfort. He doesn't want us just to sit in our place of apathy. He doesn't want the guy, hey, y'all just stay home. I got this. You're good. This is the moment of obedience, church. Do I submit to the higher authority even though it's risky? 
even though it's going to make me uncomfortable. The battle is his, but he wants me to go out there and he wants me to confront it. Do we trust that, that what God has called or commanded us to do is the best thing for my life? Like that's the question you've got to wrestle with when you walk out of here. Because godly obedience requires trust that the outcome will be better for me. Let me, I'll say that again for you. Godly obedience requires trust that the outcome will be better for me. God has asked me to fight for my marriage when in nature, you know what? I'd rather just do things on my own and get out of it. God has commanded me to lead my wife and kids the same way that Jesus leads the church. But I might have to give up some areas of my life. And I might have to give up a hobby. I might have to, I might have to give up. I might have to say no. To, to, I might have to take a different job. I might have to move. I might, I might have to do some different things to actually lead my wife and kids the way that Jesus wants me to lead the church. And I might have to say no to some desires. Hey, God's commanded us to make disciples. Well, man, that doesn't happen unless I say no to some things that I want to do. And I'm battling this addiction. I may have to get rid of my phone. I may have to get rid of the computer that's in my house. I might have to get accountability people that have access to all the stuff that I do so that they can help me get through whatever it is that I am battling. Jehoshaphat was obedient and he did what the Lord commanded. Look at verse 20 again. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me. All you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe. Believe in the Lord your God. There's that word. There's that word, believe again. Do you want to know what type of belief Jehoshaphat had in this moment? It was not the let me just wade in over here till I'm really comfortable. But when things start to get uncomfortable, it starts getting a little too cold, maybe my feet are, my toes are getting numb, I kind of wade right back out. Jehoshaphat did not have that kind of faith. Jehoshaphat had this all in, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, faith. So today begins holy. And we don't refer to it as Holy Week a whole lot. The church does. This, this Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. You might remember this. Jesus is making the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Like he, he's, he's staring down the cross. And, and he's the only one that knows what awaits him. And, and, and he, he's, he's marching in, and he tells the disciples, hey, there's going to be a donkey over here. Go get the colt. We're going to ride in. And the people, the, the, the people they start like, Jesus, right? And they got their, they got anything they can. They're taking their jackets off. They're throwing them down. They get their palm fronds. And they're, they're adoring this king who's coming into town. Hoshiana, Hoshiana, they're saying. It's a good moment. But then Jesus just kind of rides on through town. He looks over Jerusalem. He's crossed. 
joy crying. Because he knows that in three days, these very people who are worshiping him as he walks through the town, these very people are so fickle that they're going to be yelling these words. Crucify! Crucify! I mean, a few days ago, their belief has them, Hosiana, Hosanna, God in the highest. And now, a few days later, crucify him. Because he rides through town and he just weeps over Jerusalem because he knows. He knows their heart. It's an all in. It's an all in belief. It's a complete die to self surrender. And here's the thing. Right? Last, last Bible lesson was this. Jesus had moments where he didn't want to do it either. On that Friday, he goes through the deal. He washes everybody's feet, even Jesus. He, he, does, the, he does the whole ceremony. He does the whole ceremony. He goes through the thing. You're not betrayed. You go do what you got to do. They go through the meal and they go out to the garden. Luke 22 records it this way. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room. And he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away. About a stone's throw, he knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done. And there he is. I mean, the, the cross is the next day. God leaving his life and his presence as he takes on sin, our sin. That, that that's the next day. He knows what's coming. And, and he's in this moment. He's in this moment of, I, I, I'll be fine if you want to take this away from me. I, I, I'm okay. Like, like, but what does God want? I mean, he, he says it right there. I want your will to be done, God. He prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. It's not a circulatory thing. It's a response from an all-in As you walk out of here today, that's the question that you need to wrestle with. Do you trust that what God has called or commanded us to do is the best thing for you? 